This is Coda Radio, episode 71 for October 14th, 2013. You're listening to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode's brought to you by our two fine sponsors, GoDaddy.com and Ting.com. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as the show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us like every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Mm, good morning, Chris. <laughs> Welcome to the Columbus Day episode, Mr. Dominic. Let me gather around, children. Let me tell you the legend, a Sith legend, of Darth Columbus the Explorer. Oh, no. Long ago, Empress Isabella said, Chris, your government hates you. Go sail for Spain and conquer the Ewok. Uh, uh, uh. When does Jar Jar come into the story? Because that's, that's all my, my son cares about. He landed in the wrong place and meant Jar Jar. I, I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. It hurt me a little bit when Jar Jar came on the screen, and my kid's reaction was, "Who's that?" And I was like, "Oh no, no, no! He's the worst part. Don't like him. He's the worst part." But it's Misa, my... the best character, Chris. <laughs> no. <laughs> so Chris, do not make me mention Medicorians. I know. I know. See, this is why you guys need to join us on the pre-show because we had a good Star Wars chat this morning. Because uh, we were chasing the hum side of things in the Coda Radio studios. But we're going to have a fun episode today because unlike most people's government shut down, most people have Columbus Day off, they're working their desk jobs. Not us. Not us. The Coda Radio show continues on. Tried to take the day off and he sent Dylan to my house. <laughs> well, he is a tough little kid. So uh, we're going to have a good episode. You've got some big, you've made a big change, like a whole, like, you know, Mr. Business over here. You've got I went shopping. You, you went shopping and buy yourself a business. So we'll talk about that. And uh, I just got out of my Ubuntu 13.10 review, which is kind of interesting because you just switched to Ubuntu. And I think maybe there is some space in that conversation to talk about taste when it comes to software development and mm, how Unity you implement has that. none. And also, I, I kind of want to talk to you about how I feel like there's more and more developers today that are not finishing things. They're sort of getting it to a point. It's almost like they've taken that minimum minimum viable product theory and they've 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 like run with it. And so sometimes like things ship and then you expect in the next release or two they're going to get better, but instead of those things getting better, they just add new things that also are only mostly done and it just sort of all collects. So I want to talk about that too because I I feel like it's not just Ubuntu, it's not just web apps, it's like, it's pervasive, it's, it's, it's in mobile, it's everywhere. Are we about to bash on Agile? Because that would be amazing. Would oh, well, I mean, awesome. who us? Who us? No. No, I don't want to bash. I just, because they're actually... I do. There could be, like, there is, I, and I think maybe I'll play the devil's advocate in this conversation, there actually could be a few pretty positive things from that type of development model. So we can talk about that, too, if we have time. We've got a big show coming up, I think. Yes. Should we start with uh, one of our first emails? Okay, so Matt, with a single T, wrote in, and he said, Hey, Chris and Mike, I pretty much am just a hobbyist when it comes to programming or web development. 
I'm pretty confident in my Python and my JavaScript, and I'm just now learning how to put JavaScript and HTML, CSS together to make my website interactive. The website I'm using to learn is teaching me jQuery as the only method, though, and I know that you can use raw JavaScript to accomplish the same thing. My question, mostly for Mike, when, if ever, should I use jQuery over straight-up JavaScript? Thanks a lot. I love all the Jupiter Broadcasting shows. It's the only TV I watch. Well, thanks, Matt. So, the core question here, when to use jQuery over just straight-up JavaScript? Yeah, so... um it's important to remember that jQuery only exists because browsers suck, right? Oh! Um, no, and I mean that in a very literal way. Um, there is a negative suction force coming off IE <laughs> that doesn't make it respond to normal JavaScript correctly. But in all, all kidding aside, so jQuery was made because browsers were different, right? Mm. So basically it's an abstraction layer to normalize what you're doing. Um, I'm one of the believers in that that's all it should be for. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's your answer, right? So if you're using a, you know, if you need to support back to IE7, then you're probably going to use jQuery a lot because you don't want to deal with browser-specific crap. Um, and the way they deal with the DOM and all of that goodness. If there's no reason for you to be using it, don't use it, right? Because it's a big dependency. So if you're writing something like a specifically for Chrome, you can get away without jQuery for the most part. Now, I know that's a very broad definition, very broad answer. So send your hate mail to alan at jupiterbroadcasting.com. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay, I think that's probably a pretty fair answer. I suppose, I suppose. So, move to our next email then. This one came in from, I believe it was Dave. And uh, Dave says... Hey, Mike and Chris, I'm a long-time listener of the show. Since episode one, I'd like your feedback on a Python and Ruby programming languages. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. All right, Matt. Dave, I mean, here we go. He says, I'm mainly a web programmer. I've been using PHP, but I have, it, I have been tempted by other languages since they can be used for more than just the web. I'm at the point where, on where I want to pick one and just run with it. PHP has been great for me, but I want to do more. Some developers consider it an ugly language and not easily scalable. Python and Ruby are easy to read, well-documented, and stable open-source languages that are supported on various platforms. They can both be run on Java JVMs, and Python has an excellent PY. Pi. What is that? Pi Pi? Pi Pi? What is that? Pi Pi. Um, I like that. I forgot. Well, Python, <laughs> I has, what that was. Python has an excellent Pi Pi that makes Python faster. I'm also tempted, we kind of answered it, I'm also tempted by their frameworks like Django, Ruby on Rails, uh, that I heard are better than PHP frameworks. I know the easy answer is pick what you are most comfortable with, and I'm curious on both of your preferences from experience. Take into consideration the reliability, ease of use, speed, popularity, and marketability of contractors and job applications. I trust Ding. both of your viewpoints, and I would, <laughs> and so it'd be nice to pick one, even if it's controversial. Thanks again. So, so, so I'll be honest with you. If I saw your resume and you told Basically, we're a PHP guy. Your resume would go directly into the bin. I know. You're such a PHP hater. But I feel like it depends on what? who your target is because if he's applying for a job for you, that makes sense. But if he is right. – if he's literally going after clients who just want an application, you're almost better off not to put what language it is in some cases for some clients because oh, they yeah. – I mean if you're, cl- if you're just interfacing with a biz dev guy and no. you don't need to tell him what you're doing, no. for the love of God, don't. Just make sure your app works and that you can support right. it. Yeah. So he, here's – and this actually happened to me over the weekend – um, I realize why I tend to have such negative encounters with PHP people. Okay. Even when I'm not outwardly being a jerk, 
is because they seem to always come to a discussion trying to justify PHP. And it's never like something new. It's always doing something very old. Hmm. And even if you, you know, I got into this discussion. Somebody asked me, well, what would you teach someone just, you know, desperate to learn Rails? And I had on the list CoffeeScript, even though I don't like it. The reason for that is CoffeeScript is currently a default in a, in a Rails stack, right? Mm-hmm. And the guy got really, like, pissy about it. And he's like, I don't understand why anyone would go with CoffeeScript over JavaScript. And I said, well, this is the default. So if he's going to be a junior Rails developer, you know, and then he goes into an interview saying he's never used CoffeeScript, it's, it's going to be a bad conversation, right? And basically, every, every one of these conversations I've had with PHP guys is always like, well, I could have done that in PHP, you know, three years ago. And it's always this weird defensive position. Now, it's not categorical, right? Uh, Cake PHP is pretty good. There are frameworks in PHP that are good. But, you know, there seems to be this... All right, Chris, are we going to do some flame mail? Okay. It's very similar to the .NET guys. Where it's, well, I've been doing, you know, I've been doing this in vBasic for 10 years, so, you know, go away. Now, that is interesting you say that, because that actually clicks in what my comment was going to be, is that I feel like in some ways... And maybe people are going to think I mean this negatively, but PHP is sort of... We always joke that whenever people are writing in-house apps, they're using VBScript or whatever. PHP is used... I mean, it is used so extensively on internal applications. Like, if anybody is writing something internally on the web, they're usually using, you know, one of three different types of languages. Uh, And, yeah, it totally... You know, it could totally be VBScript. It could totally be uh, C-sharp or whatever. But I also think a lot of times they write their internal apps using PHP. And uh, and I just because I've seen so many of them, and by that very nature, there's sort of this large, silent momentum to it internally. So there's tons of jobs available for it, I think. But maybe I'm wrong. So I mean, there's tons, tons of lower paying, right? It's like the VB jobs. You know, what was the phrase we stole from Scott Hansman? Dark matter developers or black matter developers was dark, right? <laughs> yeah. Off the grid. <laughs> no, no one is saying that these jobs don't exist, right? And I just want to be clear because the chat room, you know, is getting a little crazy. Um, it, it doesn't – PHP, the language, isn't necessarily bad, right? It's what people do in it that's awful. And it doesn't matter how old the language actually is, right? Because languages change, languages evolve. And then I constantly talk about Objective-C, and that's, you know, very old. Um, you could even say it's small talk, you know, that we're not going to get into that discussion, but the, the issue... You've seen the, how it's been used. It's like right, a gun, issue, right? <laughs> well, the, well, the issue is that the methodologies, these people are, are not just justifying the language, right? Because, you know, honestly, Quinley made a good point in the chat room. Everybody should be a polygon at, at some point, right? Um, but, you know, with today's security landscape, some of the more raw PHP MySQL stuff that people like to get away with maybe shouldn't happen right mm, mm. and that's where you get into people like me who well let's be honest security flaws lead to lawsuits and it's really easy just to throw away a php resume even if that person's good mm. but mm. again there, there are more reasons for for not hiring php if you're not a php shop right so i guess you know so his core question is um is marketability really yeah. at that, that point because I, I think i did a bing 
depends on who you're marketing to, right? I have no doubt in my mind that you could say I've been doing PHP, I can, you know, and get a job tomorrow. Um, I would say that in my experience, Rails, since the very recent security issues, has taken a big hit. Um, I would, I would probably not sell yourself as a developer from any camp. I would go the polygon route, right? Play with Django, play with Rails, even play with .NET, right? Um, because another one of my random beliefs is that this whole I'm a PHP guy, I'm a .NET guy, I think is going to go away. Okay. Well, okay. I kind of feel like if Matt or Dave, sorry, if Dave yep. had said, you know, because um, he says uh, he talks about marketability. But he doesn't say who his market is. He doesn't say if he's going for employers, if he's going to direct clients, if he's right. you know, he doesn't. So I think, I think this answer varies depending on on that. Well, actually, J- Justin in the chat makes a good point. Also, depends on where you are physically, right? So New York, New Jersey, PHP is gonna you're gonna get a job, but you're not gonna get a job at some of the more sexy companies, right? Okay. Um, and same thing with .NET. So it depends on where you are. I mean. I'm told that out in Kansas, .NET in particular is the shit, right? Like everybody's hiring .NET. Everybody's hiring .NET. Everybody, bring on your C shop. Everybody's got hired. Everybody's hiring it. Well, you know, maybe that's true, Mr. Dominic. Uh, I, you know, definitely out here in the Washington state, um, there is a huge preference. Well, at least it's funny. That's well, I would, Im- I, would Im- I would imagine so in Washington. Yeah, I used state, to have clients right? that would just buy Microsoft because that was the, you know, the backyard local economy thing to do. That was like their reason. That's not so much the same anymore, but it did that did influence into in some ways our tech sector here in Washington, sort of set a culture a little bit. Yeah, there are. I mean, there are still a lot of really strange Ruby things happening in New York, and right now I'm seeing. And also, don't chase the trend, right? Like, if you if you want to be trendy and chase that, you're going to go with Node. Um, but again, I I really feel like being a well-rounded polygot is more important than being, you know, a a insert community here guy yeah okay that makes sense i follow which i follow your funky beat mr dominic hey you know um so that that is uh there was we also got a lot of emails that were kind of all of essentially in consensus with each other so did you want to summarize any of that a little bit or does that lead us into sort of the ubuntu linux packaging yeah i I just kind of wanted to uh i mean we could just summarize this i thank all the people who wrote in with tips on packaging the linux software um i'd also like to note that none of you seem to agree with each other (laughs) Uh, so. happens all the time <laughs> wow it's like it is yeah. like a, this is the so you know when people say sometimes the biggest barrier to the linux community is the linux community yeah it is a little true because i see this all the time on the linux action show whenever we cover something i'll always get a really strong 50 50 split it doesn't really matter what it is controversial or not yeah i mean you know we're not going to go into all the different options that were sent in but what it does show me is that you know, this has been a problem for a while, and even within the last four years, uh, the Linux community has done something about it. Two, that there are enough options that you can fight about which option is, you know. That's true. It's true. I, did you get did you get a lot of people recommending the uh, OpenSUSE build open build service? That was one of the most common. Um, but then I got, got an equal number of people not liking that because it was quote cloud. And I guess I can get their point. I you know but the idea the, the idea here is that you know you up you upload a tar to to them right, right? and they it. for yeah. you know even for their competitive distros which I think is they got Red Hat Enterprise on here SUSE of course Ubuntu Fedora Debian I mean that's class but that is definitely on the short list right I mean and and that's someone I was originally looking at as you know I mean, other, you know what other folks do is they just have like a 
they they ask for a volunteer from a distro to step up and be like, you know, they'll be the caretaker of that distro's package and then they package it too. And that's a little, it's a little kind of more like volunteer work, but usually it's because you get somebody who really wants that available on their distro. But that's a little, that's not as quite, it's not that it's not reliable, but it's just not as reliable. Well, and if you were going to release a piece of software, I, at least think the way I would want to release it is I, I'd want to have the binary. I'd want to have the package yeah. or whatever distros were going to be supported, like a simultaneous deal, right? Where you click and it drops down Ubuntu, Debian, Fedora, you know, whatever. Well, we'll see. So I mean, I got it's, a, I got yeah. A couple of questions for you about that. Um, specifically, Uh-oh. like about like, what you're going to target and things like that. But before we get into that, because I feel like we're about to have a kind of an epic conversation, I want to thank our first sponsor. Is that good with you? That is, you know, it's not good with me, actually. It's great with me. Okay, then. Our first sponsor this week is Ting.com. Yes, friends, Ting is mobile that makes sense. And uh, I am a happy camper. So, okay. Now, you all know that Ting has some of the greatest devices from a whole range of prices. Anybody that's budget conscious, anybody that wants one of the highest end, you know, the, the greatest Android devices, they got the whole line now of HTC phones. And guess what? Guess what? Got my Android 4.3 update this weekend. Yes! I'm running Android 4.3 now. I'm very happy, Sue. And it is noticeably faster. And I already thought the HTC One was a screamer. I'm not just saying. I thought it was the fastest Android phone I'd ever used. Now it's got an update. Now, Mr. Dominic, you got yourself the Moto X. Does that? Do you, do you remember what version of uh, Android ships on the Moto X? I, I think it's 4.3. Um... Yeah, I'm not sure. You like it? Yeah. You liking it? Yeah, we should talk about that after the edit. It's, okay. it's very nice. I got the developer edition. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm curious to see what you think because I've been, I, you know, I've, I'm, gonna, I'm waiting to see what the Nexus 5 does, see if Ting gets that. My, my new philosophy is if it's not on Ting, I don't, I don't get it. So, if, you know, my Moto X might be my Christmas phone. That definitely looks nice. In fact, we're going to talk about taste too coming up in the show. And this is another thing I really like about Ting is they have taste. They have over on their Ting blog, they've, uh, shown, they're showing off the new Ting portfolio that the new Moto Xs are shipping out in. These look so slick, and it is really, it comes down to just even the details that Ting pays attention to. They have a nice leather, or a, it's not leather there, it's kind of leatherish. I like the Ting tag, too. This is, you know, it, th- think about that as experience. When you order a new phone from Ting, you get, this, you get this delivery here with this nice packaging with all everything laid out for you. There's the Moto X one. Look at that. Oh, that looks good. I like that. It's clean. It's tight. That's taste. That's what I'm talking about, people. The other thing Ting does, of course, is no contracts, no early termination fees. Check out how they do their rates. They break out your minutes, your text messages, your megabytes, and they just bill you at the end of the month for whatever bucket you fall into. Now, for me, because I hardly use any voice between Skype and text messaging and Hangouts, I almost use zero. In fact, I, some months I try. It's like a, it's like it's like how Prius owners have pride about their gas usage. I have pride about my minutes. That's great for me because with Ting, I only pay for what I use. Plus, I have multiple devices on my account. They all share from a pooled set of minutes. Just six dollars per line. Super easy. I never have device guilt if I don't use one device very much. It's awesome. Average Ting bills just twenty one dollars. And if you go over to coderadio.ting.com, they're going to take twenty five dollars off your first month of service if you bring a device. And if you don't have a device, well, they'll just take $25 off your first device. It's super easy, straightforward, and to make things even easier and to encourage that transition. That way you can start saving right away. Ting now has an early termination fee relief program, and it couldn't be simpler. You grab your device, you port your number, and then you just fill out their ETF form, and they'll give you up to $75 per device. Can you believe this? They, they want to help you get out of that contract so that way you can get awesome service where you own the device and you set the terms and you only pay for what you need 
and they're going to help you with that termination fee. That's absolutely incredible. So go to coderadio.ting.com and thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. I'm so happy to have 4.3 on my HTC One now. I'll tell you what, I was like, man, you know, I'm happy. I'll just, I'll just live with it like it is. Got that update? Pow, dude. It's like, it's like they put, they put hot sauce on the phone. It's, it's blazing now. I don't know about the battery life. I haven't quite really had it long enough to suss out the differences there, but I'm hopeful. So how do you like your Moto X? Uh, you know, the Moto X is pretty nice. Um, I've, I, I still have to write a review. I've just been busy. I'm told that the camera's not as good as the HTC One. I'm not a camera guy, so and it seems that way. It is plastic, right? Um, and it is uh, one of the guys in my office is very creeped out by it. Creeped out? Why? Because it's got the, like a snake yeah. texture? Well, the whole con- constant listening thing. Oh, 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 the oh, yeah, the the. So how does that work? That uh, so very you say, well. Okay, Google. Very, very well. You just say yeah. okay, Google, huh? I think it's okay, Google now. Okay, Google now. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it's surprisingly good. Like, th- there's a little annoyance where, like, you can say, "Okay, Google now." Text Chris Fisher, and then you know the body of your text, and you you actually have to tap it to send the text, which seems un- you know dumb. But I, you know, the voice recognition, the responsiveness is far better than Siri. Uh, so this this is probably going to be Motorola's competitive edge if they keep it a Motorola thing. Now, do you do you find yourself continuing to use it? It's not like uh, uh, yeah, I'm using it as a personal phone. Um, no, I mean, do you find yourself using the voice command stuff, or is it like novelty that's starting to wear already? No, I I use it a lot. I mean, if if I could actually audibly confirm a text message to send, I'd probably use it a lot more too. Mm, okay, uh, like you know, you can be as casual as okay, Google now get me to get me to my office. You know, if you're Oh, if you're that's like me, cool. You take the wrong exit on the parkway all the time. Or <laughs> okay, Google now, I need to go to Starbucks. Uh get me to the nearest one. And it, it will actually figure it out. Cool. So with with a reasonable margin of error. How's right? the battery life? Surprisingly good for something that's listening. I would say I'm getting about six hours. Okay. All right. Eight that's hours would be heavy nice, usage. but okay. Yeah. All it right. can go all day, but I'm I'm You're using right now I'm in the honeymoon phase where I'm you know, even if it's right next to me, I'm still talking to it, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe I might pick that up. Then. That does sound like a good review. So have yeah, you have you got any of those clips that help you, like, so it'll unlock, you don't have to use the passcode when you're near it? They have, I guess, like little uh, Bluetooth. Uh, so are you ready for this? Yeah. I don't use a passcode. Oh, yeah, that's right. I guess, yeah, see, this, see this, might, this phone might help you switch, though, because I guess they have, like, little clips that when it detects them, when you're in range of those clips, yeah. like it's on your shirt or you put one in your car or you put one you know, in your office, whenever it's around that clip, it disables the passcode. And then when you go out of range of those clips, the passcode yeah. turns on. You know, I heard that. I, I guess I'm so crazy about my phone when I'm carrying it. I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe it's a defect in me where I'm constantly using it, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, that would be something interesting. Uh, I like it. I mean, it, it. It's a good phone. It, you know, the body is a little plasticky. Um, it's, you know, it's definitely plastic, right? Should have got the wood one. <laughs> I, got- I think it's just plastic. No, maybe it's not plastic wood. <gasps> Dude, if they get the wood one on Ting, that's what I'm getting. Guarantee yes. it. Uh, so, should we talk about your little purchase you made this week? I went shopping. Nice. So I, uh, I now you're in the uh, now you're in the league of uh, buyers and sellers of businesses. Welcome to the uh, Smokers Club. I think you get an honorary cigar now. 
Yes. So we've talked about uh, Mr. Zane before. He's been in the IRC and he works with you uh, at Fingertip Tech. And uh, he had a he had an app in the Ubuntu Software Center that he had been developing on. But I guess tell me what happened. What happened next? And then why why an Ubuntu app, Mr. Dominic? Seems like a big move. So I mean, for those who don't know, let's go through Zane's story. And Zane has been on a number of other podcasts uh, after he developed the app. Uh, he he made a challenge to develop an Ubuntu app and make back his costs because he paid a designer uh, for a, for a logo and things like that. And buy a cheeseburger. In fact, it may have just been a hamburger. I'm not sure if the cheese was involved. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, cheese does cost extra. He did not succeed in that goal. Ouch. Um, which is unfortunate. But anyway, the app is called Spindle. Spindle with no E. It's, uh, it, it is a time-tracking app for the Ubuntu platform. Um, it is written in Python GTK, if anybody cares. And, you know, I, I, I was a fan. I was one of the uh, early adopters of Spindle. And, you know, Zane's been working with us, so we ended up getting into talks about... He had some broader goals for Spindle that, you know, he has. he's busy, right? You know, he's working, two jobs, going to school, all of that. So uh, I offered to acquire it through Fingertip. And we made a deal, and that's where we are right now. So... You um you you saw promise in the app and right. I, I guess you also then must see promise in the software center. Hmm. <laughs> no, I mean because that's so you. Uh, is this only available through the Ubuntu software center right now? This is no longer available through the Ubuntu software center. Okay, but was it only available through the software center? As far Once as you the know? transaction was made, um, it was pulled from pulled. the Ubuntu software yeah. center. Uh, okay. So you're thinking now, now that, so I'm, I'm just, this is just me putting two and two together, but you've been talking about packaging for different distros. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just bought an app that runs on Linux that was mm-hmm. Ubuntu specific. Now, am I starting to see maybe a pattern develop here where perhaps this application could be coming to other distros? So I would direct you to my personal website where I, um, you know, in, in tandem with Zane, I, he posted it on his site as well, and I posted announcing the purchase as well on mine. Oh, well, one uh, made it to the subreddit and the other didn't. Hmm, that's yes, interesting. Yes, because no, because people don't like me to post my own stuff to the subreddit, which is actually not true. I just sometimes don't do it. <laughs> uh, so, can I quote myself? Is that is that is that too too much? Well, we don't have a soundboard today, so you might as well, because otherwise... Okay, yeah. true, so you can't quote me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I hope that this acquisition communicates my and my company's commitment to Linux as a platform for desktop software development and publication. Wow. I'll be making more announcements before the end of this year, and do follow Fingertip Tech Inc. on Twitter. So, what you're saying is yes. <laughs> Parse the PR, Chris. <laughs> that through your PR filter. I think you said yes there. And that's pretty exciting. Now, um, so I'm just curious your logic here because you're a practical guy and um, we both want this Linux ecosystem to work. We want there to be a marketplace because for the same reasons Valve does, right? It's the almost exact same reasons when you zoom out. However, except for Valve, and we don't even have numbers there, we've not yet seen anyone demonstrate that they've really made a long-term profit selling software specifically the code itself selling you know selling binaries i don't think we've really seen that work well i would say that um 
in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, IBM also felt that there was no way to sell software. And how are they doing? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Right. I, I think um, no, I'm not announcing anything. Like I said, follow the Twitter account and that's where we do all announcements. Yeah. I'm try- I will avoid, I'm sorry, chat room, I will avoid any more corporate speak unless Chris asks me direct questions that I don't want to answer. <laughs> but I tell you what, I will make, I will do Congress speak. I will channel John Boehner right now and that's how I'll respond. Oh, you got to get a little, uh, uh, look. Uh, look, look, look. See, the president doesn't want you to have software. We have put a bill through the house. That's actually pretty good. That that wasn't too bad, actually. You just gotta get a little. You gotta get a little phlegm and a little upset. Yeah, I I don't. So it's obvious from that that post that fingertip tech is going Linux, right? I mean, in fact, that's the name of the post. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about this. Have you been looking at it and going like, "All right, well, the the app store is locked down by the incumbents. The Microsoft direction is going nowhere. I mean, they're they're. I mean, let's come on, dude. Their marketplace sucks. I don't mean to hate on you guys so bad, but I I can't. Every time I go in there, I cannot believe like there's no differentiation. Everything just kind of all blends together. It's hard to navigate. You got to know a special key command to even search the damn thing. I mean, it is kind of crazy. And and then on the Apple side, unless you're one of the big ten, fifteen, you know, cl- in the club. You you kind of you kind of either have to go free or have a sort of a breakthrough. Is this are these are these things that you've been like running through your head and thinking these are not problems on the Linux side? So I would say um, it's a little hard to compare Linux to let's say the Mac App Store because I think both platforms have very different expectations, right? Mm-hmm. And so you make a very valid point on the Mac App Store. And on the Windows Store, I hate to say. Um, and I think if anyone goes to listen to back episodes, there's a clear narrative of me me toying with this and kind of how this happened. And a lot of it was you know, frustration with other things and, and um, you know just a personal desire to use Linux more actively. But I'd also say that, you know, Chris, I, I definitely think there's going to be difficulties with this, right? So Fingertip Tech is still a very proprietary company. Um, and it's though we, you know, I do open source things as possible. I, I don't foresee we, us releasing commercially open source software anytime soon, right? Mm-hmm. So the question for me becomes: What? Why hasn't anybody else committed themselves to Linux as a platform? Is it, you know? I, I think if we were to call Mac developers and say, why don't you guys develop for Linux? Because, you know, it's the same Unix underpinnings. Uh, I think they would say because Linux people won't buy anything, right? Well, and we do have some examples of like uh, – uh, so we're obviously in the enterprise space. This is a different discussion. But um, Crossover Office, are you familiar with Codeweavers? Right. I am, yes. They Now they make a Mac version too. But initially, like they, they bootstrapped um, by making – a really polished utility right. to run wine apps. And, um, you know, they charge like 30 bucks or 25 bucks right. or whatever it is. And they've been around for years and years and years. Now, uh, the CEO told me that if they hadn't switched to also making it for the Mac, the company probably wouldn't be around anymore. And, he, and that the, they make the majority of their money on the Mac, but their Linux side still makes enough money to make it totally worth their time. So here is an example of an application cost about 30 bucks, been around five, 10 years whatever it's been. 
Um, but it's a utility. See, so I think what we've seen is utilities and enterprise applications will sell on Linux. So I, okay. So so you mentioned the Ubuntu Software Center a few times. Who me? Yes, you. Hmm. Um, at least when you were introducing the segment, and I and I think that's a good place to look for. You know, people have held up the numbers uh, for the Ubuntu Software Center and said, "See, you can't make money on Linux. Mm-hmm. You can't right. support your staff on Linux." And I don't think that's necessarily true, right? Because there's more variables there. There's the fact that Canonical insists on getting my address every time I spend ninety nine cents. Um, there's also something to be said for polished software. And, you know, I've gotten enough emails from the Jupiter Broadcasting audience that to believe that there is a market. Now, it, you might not be able to sell certain types of software on Linux, right? Um, certainly anything that could, you know, like on Mac, a lot of utility applications are front-ends to Python scripts, right? You probably can't sell that. I mean, look at the state of the software center right now. So right now, we just went through Spindle, which has been pulled in the banner, and the last two banners are completely blank. They're just white. They're white space. So you talk about quality. First of all, I think we've all underestimated how important quality is, even on Linux. And I think what made Ubuntu take off in the early days was they took GNOME, and your your typical GNOME-based distro, first of all, was totally out of sync with GNOME, which didn't make any sense. Second of all, it was filled with you know, three or four different web browsers, couple of different IM clients, all this different stuff. It was a mash of just, they just took all of the best stuff they, they could think of and they just threw it all in there. The menus were crazy. And then Canonical came along and released Ubuntu and it was, we picked one web browser, we picked one email client, right? And they, and we, we've, we've done a nice theme and we've arranged it nicely. And they, they added quality to the presentation. And I think you could argue that the way Steam apps are being, the way you know, Steam, you know, it, people are buying Steam games on Linux. I, I've talked to developers at PAX that told me that. And it, but they're the good games that are selling. It's again, it's quality. I think all along we've underestimated how important quality is, even to Linux users. And I know I don't yeah, mean to say I, that derogatory, but like I think people often think Linux users are willing to rough it more, and I think that's true. But they still care about quality. I, I agree with that completely. Um, I mean, you know, just rolling my Ubuntu desktop now, a lot of the ports I'm using are very slapdash, right? Um, now, Zane is in the chat room. He makes a good point about the, uh, you know, UI development on Linux, the lack of a, a blessed SDK. There are barriers to entry on it. Um, and in particular, some of the user interface fragmentation is a pretty big barrier to entry, right? So... This is one of those areas where, you know, I feel like because of the fragmentation, there's been this weird lowest common denominator in UIs. And if someone can do better, you know, they, by extension, would do better, right, in terms of financially and, and all of that. Having said that, you know, Ubuntu going off and doing its own thing is not great, right, if you're a software vendor. Um, there are still issues that will need to be addressed. There's also, you know, I'm, I'm anticipating a very vocal and a very angry part of the Linux community, you know, attacking commercial software on Linux, right? But that already exists on the Mac side. The difference is the Mac people attack you for charging money now. Mm. Um, and I have a feeling these Linux people will attack it for not being open source, right? 
or not being GPL. It's just not a sustainable argument because A, right. don't use the app is always like that's always the answer. Right. If, and, if you disagree with the license, vote with your wallet. Right. Basically. And B, yeah. well, then you need to go talk to TiVo, Google, Linksys. I mean, should I go right. on? Right. I mean, you right. know, you know, the problem is, is it, it's a battle that to the majority has it hasn't it never was even fought it was there was never even a battle there was it was there was never even a discussion it was just the needs that the platform was able to answer and and but that that but the great thing about linux is it is a general purpose computing platform so you can make it your own you know free only top to bottom you know you can go you can go all rms on it if you want well i really think that um one of the the, the biggest issues for for linux desktop software has been general fear of, of companies who would develop software for Linux, right? Of just a total loss. And, and I'll be honest, there is huge risk in what I'm doing here. I mean, th- this is a, this could be Chapter 11 style risk, right? Mm-hmm. This could be Bankruptcy 5. Well, and I think it's, I mean, not to, not to scare you, but I think it's telling, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, I think it's telling that Valve developed SteamOS. I, I, I believe that was a vote of no confidence in Ubuntu, because... So, I... I don't think it would be shocking to anyone to hear that one of the uh, strategies we're taking is we're not tying to any one distro. I think, right? yeah, I think that's safe. I used to, you know, right. and it's funny because if you really follow this show back, I used to say Ubuntu's big enough that you could just write for it, and then later on, if you needed to, if you felt like you wanted to, you could then, you know, uh, deploy on the other distros. But I, I don't know. I, I, I just think that's not true anymore. Well, I feel like Ubuntu is going in a different direction. Well, it would be really hard to write because – so they're about to roll out uh, their SDK right. for the desktop. And there's going to be a lot of changes you know, in, in how you write apps, in what they're written in, and how they look. And so it's, it's kind of like when – it's kind of like do you really want to start – when you know all these changes are coming and you know they're only going to be dot 1.0 or maybe even beta when they hit, you don't want to bet the farm on that. Right, but right. you can't. You also can't put the business on hold for two years. Right. So we're. I mean, we're we're going to be uh, updating Spindle, re-releasing Spindle. We have a few other things on the drawing board, and you know, I'm not going to lie. There's there's there is a lot of risk, right? Mm-hmm. It, it seems like something that should work out. I mean, I'm pretty confident in it. Having said that, there's obviously going to be a vocal minority. Um, and what's of particular interest to me is the Linux press, right? Will they cover commercial software? Are you asking? Asking, not telling. Yeah, uh, I suspect yes because they have already. Um, but I, there because there is a hunger for good quality applications. If it's something right. that there's kind of a need for that is done really well, I think it'll get coverage. If it's, you know, if it's another Pomodoro timer. Mm, you know, oh crap! Scrap that project. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? Like, there, there, there probably it probably has to qualify at a certain level of attentionness right. to, to get them to write about it. But at the same time, if you time it right and all that kind of stuff, I think they would. So this is also, uh, you know, just to troll the uh, Code Radio folks. This is kind of put up and shut up for you guys, right? Well, how long we've we been doing the show? About a year? Mm, yeah, I, I believe 71 over. weeks, actually. Yeah, yeah. So s- since we started this show. Develop something for Linux. Develop something for Linux. Well, you know what they all want those code journal. I Chris, I have nothing to announce at this time. <laughs> Corporate speak. 
Corporate Speak Five. Corporate Speak Level Five Online. Well, I I think I I think I totally see. I mean, this is one of the things I'm most excited about as covering Linux. Um, you know, and last is that. It, it, who knows how it's going to shake out, but there is definitely uh, people are noticing an opportunity window is opening up. And, uh, you know, I was hard on 1310 in my review and I have I, there's there's maybe a couple of things I'd like to talk to you about it in there. But uh, yeah. it is definitely absolutely good enough that you could give it to people like. And I, I, I don't I don't know if we can appreciate because we've we've kind of been in this boiling pot for so long. But we are actually at a point now where you could give somebody a thumb drive with Ubuntu and say, here you go, put this in your put this in your computer's USB port, and then click the install button when it comes up, and you're all set. And we are literally now at that point where just somebody needs to be just savvy enough to do that, and they could actually use Ubuntu successfully. That's huge. That is huge. Linux has really not been quite there without having the tech guy come over and set it up for him, you know, the the, the, the kid or the the cousin or whoever it is would come over and get it installed. Then they'd be okay. But, uh, you know, Ubuntu really is there now. And that is, we are, what we are seeing as a result of that is an, a, a massive explosion in enterprise adoption. Every big company that I hear about now has Ubuntu deployed and is deploying more Ubuntu. Right. And I mean, we're talking all of them. I, mean, I just did a segment yesterday on last Mercedes is using Ubuntu. All their engineers down there are right. using Ubuntu. Uh, Amazon uses Ubuntu. Google uses Ubuntu. I mean, the list goes on. It is crazy the amount of adoption it's seen. Well, I mean, there's certainly an opportunity, uh, particularly with Windows 8, uh, shall we say, lackluster reception. Exactly. From enterprise in particular. If you, if what you want is a traditional desktop that has minimal security problems and uh, has minimal cost, Windows 8 it does right. not solve that, does not answer that. And that is sort of a lot of key ingredients to what an enterprise wants. Now, it doesn't have group policy. It doesn't have domain name. You know, it doesn't have a simple Active Directory login system and all that. But you could set all that up. It's just it's interesting to me to see where it's going. Big changes. Yeah, and, and one you know I did listen to last, and 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 one criticism I would have of your review is, you know, Ubuntu kind of is doing the things they're doing because they they I feel like Ubuntu wasn't started with a business plan, right? There was no revenue in mind when, when Shuttleworth threw all his money at Ubuntu. So now we're getting strange things like Amazon advertisements in your Dash and uh, music advertisements in your Dash. And we're also getting, you know, we're going to go to mobile because maybe we can make money there, right, as a platform vendor. Yeah. And I, I think that is probably one of the core issues that, at least in you know my strategy I'm hoping to address, is that a lot of people who tried to develop software in Linux have done it kind of as that garage um, project and then tried to, to make it a business. Right. Which unfortunately is hard to do, right? So it just ask Twitter. Uh, right. Just, oh, well, Twitter. Hey, <laughs> yeah. I, I think, if anything, the lesson of Ubuntu, if you're not happy with it, is. You need to be a paying customer. Trace right? it back to the origins. Right. Yeah. You need to figure out how this company is making money. And, you know, not to start Chris off on a Google rant, rant again, but I feel that most Linux users would be more comfortable paying a few dollars for an application than some sort of long-tail data tracking business model. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I want to ask you about... Um, 
a little bit about how when they get in this position, I think maybe developers find themselves in this position. Now now they're kind of forced to come up with a way to make money. And the way they're doing it to me is slightly offensive. So I want to talk about that in a sec. But first, I want to thank our second sponsor this week on the Coda Radio program. And that, my friends, is GoDaddy.com. Now, GoDaddy has a fantastic deal. So there's, there's always a few reasons why you want to check out GoDaddy. Now we have a banner in our show notes. If you click that, Auto charges your session for $1.99.com. But don't worry, friends. If you go over to GoDaddy.com and you forgot to click that banner, just enter the code CODER199 to get a .com for $1.99. That's $1.99.com. That's really all the, all the reason you need to go over to GoDaddy.com right now. However, while you're over there, check out some of the other things they offer. Because if you ever find yourself working on something that at any point, at any point, you think you might want to bring in a team, you might want to bring in a couple of people like... Uh, Mr. Dominic and Zane here. Now, so say in this part of this acquisition, uh, Mike was going to take over Zane's entire web domain. Like he was going to roll it into part of a fingertip, finger, which they're not. But if he was, all Zane would have to do during once the acquisition was final is take his domain name and move it into a folder that he had given rights to Mike's account. Mike doesn't have to have Zane's username and password. Mike doesn't have to log in as Zane and, you know, do whatever else he wants while he's in there because, you know, he's kind of a jackass sometimes. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. He has, Zane has the option to just grant access to whoever he wants. It also has a GoDaddy account. That makes it super easy to work in Teams, right? But then at that point, they could also migrate over to some great GoDaddy hosting and just, you know, park that sucker right there. Keep it running, keep it fast, keep it responsive, and keep it managed over at GoDaddy.com. They make all of that super easy. You can kick it up a notch when you're doing what you need to do. And don't forget to use the code CODER199 when you're checking out over at GoDaddy. That way you get a .com for $1.99. You can also pick up additional domains while you're at it. They'll be $9.99. Additional years, also $9.99. It's a fantastic deal all in itself. GoDaddy's a longtime supporter of the CODER radio program. We really appreciate you guys using our code CODER199. And thanks to GoDaddy for sponsoring the CODER radio program. So let's talk about those Dash results because this is kind of a controversial thing. I think they're implemented poorly. I think they're half implemented and I think they add clutter. I think, you know, if if when I searched for something in the Dash, so like say I searched for clear and present danger and then that movie result from Amazon comes up. Well, right now, all it is is just a, a, a big interface to clicking a URL that then launches Firefox uh, and brings me to the Amazon streaming page where I could pay $2.99 or whatever it is, $1.99, to watch the video in a Flash player in my browser. Uh, and it just tags it with their affiliate code. W- w- what I would prefer to see, and, and, and I think if, if Apple or Microsoft had rolled out a feature like this in, integrated in their launch menu, like say Windows 8, you know, maybe it does, I don't know. I feel like they would do it so that if you bought that movie in that Dash interface, you could play it right there, or you could have it launch right. a browser, and it could like you could do the payment. You could buy it all right there. You wouldn't. It feels so. so I, I, I'd actually even like to stop you there. I mean, okay, Microsoft has done some things that surprise me, but I'm pretty confident that Apple would never do that because it's dirty, right? It, I mean, it, it does seem a little dirty. It seems a little, I guess, unclean. Yeah, it's it's, it's nasty. I mean, and, and and not to you know do too much self promotion, but that's again one of the reasons I'm going to Linux is that. I feel like Linux users, not to insult Mac and Windows users, but are a little more aware of this whole, if you're not the customer, you're probably the product thing. Yeah, right? for sure. And uh, I, so, so I know what you're getting at in the dash, right? It, it's a dirty thing to be doing, but they've also done a poor job of it. Exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. Exactly. That is the worst part about it is that it's it's not done very well. Like even if you're going to do it, 
all right, if you're going to do it, do it, right? Do it all the way. Make it right. Make it work. See, I'm still, I'm, I'm rocking 1304 and I'm fine. Um, but, I, you know, I'll be honest, I, don't know if I'll be sticking with Unity forever. There are just some decisions made that I don't think make a lot of sense. And what's interesting is I've had off-the-record conversations with Canonical employees, and they've also been on the record on some of this kind of stuff, and it, it genuinely seems like they don't see the problem. Like they, I don't know if that is self-preservation, where you just convince yourself right. that it's not a problem, and, and so you just kind of put filters in, so that way everything you take in sort of justifies why it's there and sort of reaffirms the, its confirmation bias, right? I don't know if it's that or if they're just parroting the company line. But to me, it seems like if you brought if you brought a canonical employee from the past and pulled them into the future and showed them what they did, they would literally be offended that you had stained all of their hard work. I mean, I don't know that I would go that far, right? I mean, you ha- I, I would assume pos- positive intent on canonical's part, right? I'm sure they're not doing this to be evil. I'm sure they're doing it because they're they're kind of in an untenable position at the moment, right? They can't turn around and start charging for Ubuntu, but they have to sustain the business. And I, I guess Amazon and whoever the music vendor is is willing to pay them for this. And it, it gets very murky. It's right? an affiliate. Because, it, it's it's an interesting right. thing because they do a they do a they do a mix of scraping website content, which I'm not sure the legitimacy of that, and then a mix of linking to affiliate IDs. So you, you kind of have to wonder, are they making a lot of money on this, right? They I mean, have it said, it, right? Right. But they feel like they can't be. Well, but. the dirty thing about it is, is that, you know, if you click on one of those affiliate links there, right. then they've, they, 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 they tag that URL. So, I mean, they, they could be making a lot of money just on the cookie that gets set on somebody's computer for a while. I don't know. They have never said. And when it first rolled out, at first I was kind of like, well, let me think about this. It was the first iteration. It's probably going to get better. And that was in 1210. Right. It hasn't gotten better. Right. It's just there's been more added to it. It is more capable. It On a back end, it is significantly more uh, um, sophisticated and it's impressive. It has an impressive back end now, which they're very proud of. But at the same time, it also sends everything you type with your IP to Canonical. And they state in their terms of services that they store that and that they will hand it over if they if a warrant is served, which post-Snowden, I'm a little more concerned about that than I used to be. Like, I made, I made this example on, on last, but I believe it's it's accurate. Like, what if they just – what if they could pull a record that, show, that showed that I launched the Tor browser frequently? So then they, then they would have perhaps enough justification to then get a warrant from my house to come seize my gear. I mean, like – we don't know what kind of climate we're going into as things get more and more creepy. Yeah, I there. mean that's a little tinfoil hat, don't you think? Well, but shouldn't we be? Shouldn't we consider it now? Now that we know that they monitor every single phone call, they mass capture all internet traffic, and that they routinely sweep up everyone's emails, shouldn't we at least consider the fact that some small company that doesn't even earn a profit might get rolled over by a larger government institute, and they might just massively seize all records, and they would have okay. every command people have typed so- into there. A few things, right? Canonical is not Canonical Inc. They're Canonical Limited, and I believe they're a British company, aren't they? GCHQ could knock on their door. GCHQ has been doing this before the U.S. was doing it, right? This, the U.K. invented this auto-surveillance crap. So I, I don't know why all of a sudden... 
I mean, your argument should be, well, I don't trust British companies because, you know, the British surveillance laws are much harsher than the U.S. ones. No, I, I, I don't actually think it's going to. I mean, what I'm saying is. I mean, is, I've, had, I've had European clients tell me that, you know, they don't want anything in the U.S. anymore because of I US think law now. I think it is rational to at least consider that it is one more thing to knock against it. I'm not saying anybody should freak out. I'm not saying anybody right. should drop it on those grounds alone. But when you when you add that to all of the other things about it, it just overall is, I, I guess I don't understand why nobody else has a problem that we're sending everything we type into our launcher to another company. So the, well, begin with that. That's it, In its very nature, it does that, unless you turn that off. Then on top of that, it has all of this crap and spyware in there. You know, all these ads. I, I, I mean, Do you not uh, see how uh, it, this is a total lack of taste that has led to this? I mean, it is... Uh, make your argument and then I'll... Well, my argument is, is that it is the collection of all of the, if it was any one of these particular things, if it was the fact that it just doesn't look very good, if it was the fact that it's, they're, they're spamming me, that, you know, if it was one individual thing, it wouldn't matter. But in my, in my view, when you take all of these elements of it, the fact that they do log it, the fact that it is inaccurate results, the fact that it looks messy, and the fact that it limits my own local results so that way I have to see these ads, in my opinion, all of these things come together and say, it's it, like at any point, this shouldn't have, this shouldn't have passed the sniff test. It should okay, never so have shipped. The, all right, but I mean, let let me play devil's advocate, mainly because I, in this case, actually am. Spyware and adware are two very different things, right? You you can't call adware spyware, and no. you don't have sufficient evidence to call this spyware. Well, what if somebody installed a program on your computer that everything you typed into it was sent to their servers? Would that be spyware? Literally, I mean, think about that. If there was some app that got installed in your machine, and every time you so, type so in a command, it's sent it to the server. Then Google, Google Ads is also spyware, right? Right. But there, there okay, is a, so there's no, a, no, hold on, there is a huge okay. difference between your local operating system launcher and going to somebody else's third-party service on the web, right? I mean, I that is a, there is. I see. I, it's a massive I difference. I agree with you that people should understand that there is a difference. I think the modern way of web apps and uh, cent- and this is, I mean, we can get into a large discussion about how the internet is becoming centralized rather than being a, a network of you know independent networks that agree on protocols to cross-communicate. But for Joe user, the internet is a central thing, right? There are a few very big islands, Google, Facebook, blah, blah, blah. And they don't make a huge distinction between local and network traffic. If I was a business, I would, as a, as a matter of policy... Make sure that we app get removed the Unity shopping lanes on every computer we deployed. I'm sure many enterprises are, right? And I know as a business that when my users go to Google, they're engaging in somebody else's service that is being logged and tracked. But when they use their own computers, their own computers, their physical computers, I, I just cannot find the justification for it. And I think if Apple did this or if Microsoft did this, we would, there wouldn't even be a question if it's okay. That that would not even be asked. It would be automatically concluded that it is creepy and it is going too far. It would be an automatic so, conclusion. So here's the thing. If Apple and Microsoft did it, people would jump up in arms because they would have no choice, right? If they upgraded the OS, they'd be stuck. And I can tell you, even in my office, there is more XFCE than Unity. Well, this is the strength of Linux in general. Right. I mean, people are protesting, but they're, you know, they're not paying, but they're voting with their wallet. They're going to an alternative solution that doesn't do the thing they find distasteful. And I think what people don't understand is I totally, I want Canonical to make money. Like, I, honestly, I'd pay to download the next release of Ubuntu. I used to buy open, I used to buy SUSE in the box set. Right. Uh, I would pay. The, 
it's just what what concerns me. The overriding concern is that it 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 passed, it got through, and to me that speaks to a much larger problem. That that is today, today it is being exposed via this dash, but tomorrow it could be a completely different thing. It could be something totally different that is also just as equally as insane. And in the combination of the fanboys who will yay and, and applaud everything they do, combined with the confirmation bias that they seem to have at Canonical, the group think that they seem to suffer from, when those two elements come together, they make people like me who are saying, this isn't quite right, sound like a lunatic. And I, I, can't, I can't even believe what reality I'm in right now. Well, I mean, I'm just monitoring the chat room. You're getting some uh, strong negative feedback. This is what I'm talking about. Like uh, these people, these people like live in a completely different reality than me. Okay, so let me just spin this back to Dev, right? Just because I think there's a larger political discussion here that doesn't go anywhere fun. I, so from a business perspective, right? The Dash is actually a good thing for me. Because I can now make the argument, well, if you're unwilling to pay for software, this is the kind of thing that happens. Right? If anything, if you find the Dash distasteful or somehow you, know, you seem to find it actually pernicious, but you know, I, I, I think you're a little paranoid. Isn't, Chris, this the argument to say, go get a commercially supported distro? Where you're paying for it, or something like RHEL, where you know they're making money directly off of the software development. Well, I, I, I actually prefer the track you're, you're starting down. This is the equivalent of the platform curator setting the bar. How Apple sets the bar with their prices, then mandates the prices in the App Store. When Google adds app ads to the Gmail app, then that gives the green light for right. everybody adds to add ads to their Gmail app. What Canonical is saying is, hey, if you need to make need, need to make a profit on our desktop, do this. Log your users' keystrokes. Add ads to your application. They are setting the tone for their desktop. I mean, if, again, if this was Google, I really feel like we'd be a lot more upset about this. I, I, I mean, I don't know why you feel that way, because week after week, people beat us up for hating on Google. Well, okay. It, 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 it's all right. I actually, I'm like, actually more comfortable with Google doing it because it's like their fundamental business model. They know how to do it. They grok it. And they're a large company with a huge legal department, right? Like, I'm actually more comfortable with Google than I am with Canonical doing it. They're a small company that's understaffed, that's, that's, that's spread too thin. I mean, I, I, whatever. I, I, I guess I'll just drop it. Yeah, I, just, to I, me, I, feel like, I feel like people are not fully thinking this through. I feel like the people who care have already moved on to XFCE or KDE. And I feel like those who don't, don't, right? But but the problem is, is we are seeing this massive amount of adoption with Ubuntu. And right. and it and, and, and a lot of times, it's just Unity. They're just using Unity. So for, what can I, I say? I'm using Unity right now. <laughs> to me, it seems like you're, you know... You could have the the Unity desktops rug pulled out from underneath you in a year or two, and it's going to be a whole new game. Apps are going to look completely differently. They're going to be designed right. in a different way. All right, so let me ask you this. What do you think this all means for a small software company moving into the Linux space, right? I think it's bad. I think it's bad on every level, at least until they stabilize. Once they, once they get it figured out, maybe it'll be good. But then people so, are writing Ubuntu apps. They're not writing Linux apps, potentially. So I feel like that one of the beauties of Linux is if Canonical does something silly... You know, on the Mac side, if Apple does something, you're you're pretty much compelled to, to fall in line, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's the way things go. Um, if Canonical does something silly, 
oh well, right? They don't have enough. They don't have enough leverage, right? To to force you to go along with them. The thing is, is like. I mean, yes, of course, uh, you know, a software vendor is not going to be able to do anything about the dash. Um, There's like a lot of things, yeah. though, that people people will disperse in a thousand different directions. And that's what's actually happening now is people are just dispersing in a thousand that directions. That is the biggest risk, right? Yes, that's that, but that is what's happening. Right. Well, the best thing that could happen is we get like Linux Mint being the replacement or X, or Zubuntu being the replacement. Um, but that's not OK. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Mint. I think it's a good distro. But it's it's ran by a guy and a core team. Do you want to bet yeah. your business on that? I mean, one of the things that's nice about Ubuntu is that it is backed by Canonical and Mark has a deep pocket. That's why Valve, one of the reasons Valve chose Ubuntu. And if I'm going to bet my farm risky, on it. though, right? Mark could wake up tomorrow and be like, you know what? I'm tired of this abuse. I'm done. I think he set up like a trust fund or something. But yeah, I mean, there. but isn't that even more of a risk on a project like Mint? I mean, I'm amazed that Clem hasn't burned out yet. I mean, the man's amazing. Well... Yeah, I mean, there's. So, all right. So, from my perspective, there's multiple levels of discussion, right? Because I can already see in the chat room we're getting a little convoluted. I, I've never said that distributing via Ubuntu was a good idea, right? In fact, I've said the opposite that I don't think the software center is professional and I think they should have pulled it a long time ago or redone it. So, there, there's no world where I'm distributing through Ubuntu ever, unless it got better, right? Now, for me, the broader question of I'm seeing, with the exception of Ubuntu, a lot of, you know, mat, uh, maturing in the Linux space. A lot of, you know, things are far more stable now than they were five years ago. Yeah. Right. Yep. I mean. Yep. I mean, there, I there's a definite rising. There's a definite rising tide. Right. I understand where you're coming from, Chris, and I think because you've seen these small changes, where for me, I left for a while and came back. I, I see the big change. Right. right. Yeah, the, I know what you mean. The overall delta where this went from really crashy to mm-hmm. really stable. Right. I, I am not defending the Dash thing at all. I don't think that's a good move on their part. And then I think we all know why they're doing it, right? I mean, it, it, it's money. They need money. Mm-hmm. My My bottom line here is that most common distros have become stable enough um, that you can, relative with relative confidence, distribute software to them. Again, no one has said anything about any kind of app service, right? Right, just sell direct. Right, and have it run for ninety something percent of the people who'd be interested in purchasing that software. Yeah. Now, whether those people are being tracked by Unity or whether those people are, you know, rocking them some Linux Mint Debian edition, mm-hmm. which is actually really good if you haven't tried it, check it out. I feel like we're at the point where it doesn't need to matter, right? I mean, the, the, the biggest hurdle that we're finding is that Unity's different. And that's a pain in the ass, right? I actually, it's funny. I think out of all the Linux desktops, Unity is my favorite other than... It looks nice. I mean, the, so the biggest thing we're looking at well. in terms of coding is the... Um, uh, I forgot the name of the API... But the notification stuff in Unity is a little different than it is everywhere else. Yes, it is. Yeah, and, and, and so uh, that is that is a little bit of fragmentation that does affect. That's funny. That was one of the early things, one of the early bits of fragmentation, and it, uh, it it's it's grown. I mean, it's it it's it's gotten worse. Like uh, I installed yeah. Dropbox on thirteen ten. Yeah, I don't get a notification. I don't get it. You know, just yeah. and I installed uh, Flux f dot Lux. Installed that. I don't, you don't get you don't get the notification because it's different. 
And that trend, though, see, that's dangerous. I completely agree that, you know, the community has the right to question canonical what they're doing, the security in particular of these networked searches. But that doesn't mean developers should, you know, boycott Unity, right? Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Right, I mean, it, it, it sounds like you're you're making a very strong argument for something that would be not smart. Um, you know, I you know, it's easy enough to turn off, really. Right. And you know, I get Matt Harley from the uh I'm sorry, Matt Hartley from the Linux Linux Action Show always says defaults rule the world, and that tends to be true, right? Mm-hmm. Where I get concerned about is there are exponentially more users that have never used Ubuntu that could potentially be using a, that will potentially use Ubuntu than have used Ubuntu. Like I really feel like um I kind of feel like the dam's gonna break. And they kind of have all of their guys in the position, like no other distro does. And and um, I I do worry that uh, because because the other Linuxes are getting so good that there's really there's good choice out there now. And I do worry about us a, a, a wave of applications that are maybe not like only run on Ubuntu, but definitely look like they only work on Ubuntu. So that is one of the other hurdles, right, that I was going to bring up before mm-hmm. you, uh, you went... Uh, Crazy. Yeah. The visual fragmentation is kind of an issue, right? Yeah, yeah. It's very hard to nail down one style that looks good across desktop environments. Yeah, I mean, honestly, just even looking at Spindle, it's a very Ubuntu-specific app. That's an Ubuntu design. It's good. I mean, I would be, I would be like that at that level. I don't really have an issue running it on my desktop. But it definitely right. has elements to it that you find on the Unity desktop. And, what, you know, I'm reading the chat. One nice thing about the Linux community is they're very passionate. You'll get feedback. <laughs> <laughs> you may not want to hear about it, but you'll get it. Um, you know, and, you know, ultimately, we're committed to Linux, not to Ubuntu, right? And I think that's the bottom line. Uh, and I don't consider Ubuntu different from Fedora, right? So if we were to release a product, it would be on Linux, not on Ubuntu. Right. And that's – to me, that that's the bottom line. I, I don't – and I think one of the issues for developers coming over to the Linux side has been this rat hole argument of the different distros. Yeah. When you can you, – you, I mean, yes, Unity made life harder with the stupid notification stuff. But for most of them – the exception of Unity, you can you know kind of safely ignore it, right? And you know, um, y- you have uh, you you have what you've stated there is, I think, it, you've something you've come to because you've analyzed this. But what about all these people coming over? Like you've thought about all this, like you've the realized. Are, I, I, so I've been thinking about this for a year, right? This is not something I did on a whim. Mm-hmm. Um, now, are you are you talking about developers who might come over or users? Yeah, I feel like. T- you know, like sometimes when things start to get popular, people jump on board and they just kind of follow the masses. And um, like you've looked at it and you said, essentially, our insurance policy is to write to Linux, because if we write just to Ubuntu, that's a huge risk. But if we write to Linux, then it works on Ubuntu, it works on Fedora, everything. Right. So this is because you've looked at the marketplace and you've said, based on the trends, based on my thoughts, this seems like the right policy. And I would agree with you as a Linux observer. That's exactly what you should do. However, um, when momentum picks up on something. When things start to really move, like let's let's picture where we are in a year from now when 8.1 is officially once again declared a flop, Windows 8.1, right? 
So Ouch. What, where, you know, the conversation about writing applications for Linux is going to be even hotter at that point, right? It's going to be SteamOS might be rolling out by that point. There's going to be a lot of conversations. You could have a big influx. And I, I wonder if people will have the same critical analysis that you have here. Uh, maybe. I mean, it'll be tough to tell. One thing is the, the Linux space tends to move pretty quickly. So in a year from now, you know, will Canonical be shipping a phone that plugs into a keyboard and is your full system? I have no idea, right? That would be a game changer if they pulled that off and it was successful. Um, will, who knows, maybe Red Hat will decide they want to be a consumer company and start selling laptops, right? I mean, it's super unlikely, but it's possible. Um, I think it's easier to see the trajectory of where Mac and where Windows are going than it would be to see where Linux is going. Because mm-hmm. there's just so many people involved. Uh, both commercial entities, Red Hat, Canonical, and communities, right? Mm-hmm. Still, you know, the underpinnings of all these distros aren't likely to change, right? You know, GTK is going to be around forever for a relatively long time. And I do agree with you that I think a usage is going to spike up, not down. Now, whether that's usage of Unity and Ubuntu or of uh, RHEL or Fedora or even OpenSUSE over in Germany... I, I can't tell you that, right? I mean, I don't think anybody can reasonably say that, right? Yeah, yeah, and not and not just be a jackass. Well, I think I think I think it'll be all of them. And right. I think this is why you are making a safe bet. Um, I, I think um, as I mean, I, 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 if you want my bet, I can give you my bet. Yeah, I'd love it. You know, I think a lot of especially smaller businesses are going to do the calculus that I did and say Ubuntu has AppKit, which is amazing, and you know Ubuntu is a pretty stable core, especially if you're doing an LTS to deploy to your office, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, m- Unity is a little more resource-intensive, because remember, forget about preferences. You're running an office, you might be trying to buy the cheapest beige boxes as possible. Or in a lot of right? cases, just repurposing your Windows right. 7 boxes, or right. XP so, boxes even. So you may not want all the fancy transparencies of Unity. Um, XFCE is nice and light- lightweight, right? There's GNOME, there's KDE. You, know, there, 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 you could just install a different desktop environment. And that's it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I, my, my gamble would be if you're running older hardware, um, but you don't want to give up the Ubuntu Core, XFCE is kind of the best of both worlds. It's, you know, it looks like a traditional desktop. It's really light, really fast. Um, gets and, out, and you know how gets to, out of the way. And it's, it's, it, yeah, it, it's just a straight desktop, right? Um, it's not very opinionated. I mean, it's just what you would expect coming from Windows or Windows Seven in particular, or XP even. X. Well, <laughs> yes, if you yes, possible. It is. It is. It's surprising. Very likely. You know, I had this one user who refused to let me upgrade her machine because she just knew how to, her workflow worked on XP, right. and of course, she was old enough in the company that she got to do whatever she wants. <laughs> so it, it happens. Oh, I just got to show the chat room. Oh yeah, we're using Python too. <laughs> Moving right along. Um. You know, I, I want to just circle back. My rant yeah. is not so much that Canonical's – to Canonical's credit, they make it very easy to disable some of this stuff, either via the command line or the privacy options in the dash. And then I think Unity is, is actually pretty great, um, at least three, three dot, you know, the latest three releases of it. Um, I just 
I just I think that it's worth thinking about the stuff critically, and I think it's going to impact software developers. I really do, and I think it does set a tone for the platform itself and how people should monetize. And I think that's something people just need to kick around. Doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Doesn't mean they're going to destroy everything. But I think at least at least just like when Google and Apple set prices on their apps, you know, Canonical setting prices on their desktop right now. And I just think we need to consider that. Well, again, my hope is that as the Linux community kind of moves into this area. You know, they'll see what happened to the other app stores, right? And try to avoid that, right? Because, right. I mean, no one's more vocal about how they dislike freemium, like the JB community in particular. <laughs> so it, it, it seems like if there was ever a place for, for, you know, traditional software to survive, it would be here. Uh, having said that, this was a great edition of Last. And, uh, no, no, and, no. It, it it is an interesting spinoff. I know it is like the yep. it's like the developer spinoff of Last. But uh, you're right that that's probably a good spot to wrap it. Now, of course, yep. uh, folks, you can get a hold of us. You can email us. Uh, go to uh, JupiterBroadcasting.com and pop that contact link at the top of our website, and then choose Coda Radio from the drop down, and then send in your message. Don't forget, you can join us live on Mondays over at 9 a.m. noon Eastern at JBLive.tv and JBLive.info. For the audio edition, Mr. Dominic, where should people find you throughout the week? They should find me at DominicM.com. Excellent. I think I'll do that. Maybe we'll see future announcements about exciting product developments on your Twitter feed, too, which is? That's a great question. <laughs> okay. We'll put it I in the show notes. I think it's on Twitter, but we'll figure that out. All right. Okay. Very good. We'll have a link in the show notes where people can find announcements about future application releases and things like that, perhaps. Yeah. Stay tuned. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning in this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week.